John chapter 4, this passage that we read together earlier here, is the well-known story of Jesus and the woman at the well. And the story really develops around a, a conversation between Christ and this woman. And the theme that dominates their conversation is the subject of worship. Worship. The most frequently used word for worship in the New Testament is the word proskuneo. And some form of this word is used at least ten times here in this passage. So the idea of worship dominates this conversation here between Christ and this woman. In fact, all of the essential elements of worship are found here in this passage. This passage gives us the clearest teaching on the theme of worship that's to be found anywhere in the New Testament. And I want us just to consider some of those truths in regard to worship that as we have them taught here in this passage. First of all, consider with me the truth of worship. The truth of worship. Verses 3 to 9 describe the events that led up to Jesus' conversation with this Samaritan woman. Verse 3 tells us that he left Judea to go into Galilee. And the road that he took to go there was through the city of Samaria. Jerusalem, if you know your geography, and, and sadly for the wrong reasons, the geography of, of the land of Israel is becoming more clearer to us in these days. But uh, Judea and Jerusalem are basically in the south, and Galilee is in the north. And the most direct route to go from Judea up to Galilee was through the city of Samaria. But the Jews considered the Samaritans to be unclean, and so they would have went many miles out of their way to avoid going through the city of Samaria. So the fact that Jesus went this way on this particular day was unusual. Verse 4 tells us, and he must needs go through Samaria. This was no accident that Jesus found himself going through the city of Samaria on this day. This was a divine appointment. Jesus told this woman in verse 23, But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. You see, God was seeking out this woman to be a true worshipper of his. And so that is why he uh, caused Jesus, sent Jesus uh, to uh, her there uh, on this occasion. Now to understand this conversation between Christ and this woman, and especially the subject of worship that is uh, found in it, we need to understand who the Samaritans were. The Samaritans were uh, people who had their roots in the ancient nation of Israel. Under the reigns of Saul and David and Solomon, uh, the nation of Israel was one. They were united. But then after Solomon's time, because of his disobedience to the Lord, uh, the, the kingdom was split into the north and the south. The southern kingdom of Judah 
it had, its kings were from the line of David, and then the northern kingdom of Israel had different kings that reigned and ruled in it. The northern kingdom of Israel, after centuries of apostasy and rebellion against God, they experienced the judgment of God in the form of the Assyrian captivity. The Assyrians, their enemies, came against them and brought many of them uh, into captivity in the year 721 BC. Most of the people were taken into captivity at that time, but some of the poorest of the people were left there in the land of Israel. And because there were very few people there in the land, uh, foreigners from the surrounding nations, and especially from Babylon, started to move into Israel. And as a result, they intermarried with these Jews who were left there in the land. The race that then developed from these mixed marriages uh, became known as the Samaritans. They were named after Samaria, their capital city. So the Samaritans had a Jewish descent, but they were really despised by the Jews because they, they saw them as being spiritually polluted because of their intermarriage with these pagans. The Samaritans had their own religion, which was basically a form of paganism, and some of the uh, ceremonies of the Old Testament just mixed together. It really centered on idolatry, even though it practiced some of the Jewish uh, religious ceremonies. They even wanted to maintain their Jewish heritage. But mainstream Judaism would have nothing to do with them. They, they just basically saw them as pagans. So the Samaritans had to establish their own system of, of worship and their own place of worship. They chose a place called Mount Gerizim. and They built a temple there and had their own system of worship apart from the uh, mainstream Judaism. This temple was eventually destroyed in uh, uh, 128 BC, just over a century before the time of Christ, and it was never rebuilt. But the Samaritans just continued to gather there on Mount Gerizim and to uh, worship there. Even today, there are still uh, about 800 Samaritans living there. Uh, they live mainly in the region of Mount Gerizim, and they regularly gather there uh, for worship. Now, all of this explains why this Samaritan woman was surprised that Jesus stopped here on this day uh, at this well where she was drawing water and started to speak to her. Verse 9, it says, Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. So this woman was surprised that Jesus, a Jew, should stop here and start to talk with her. Jesus got into conversation with her here, and he offered to her the gift of eternal life. This aroused her, her curiosity. Jesus then developed the, the conversation further, and he brought the conversation to the point where he challenged her about her sin. Verse 16, it says, Jesus saith unto her, Go, call thy husband, and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. 
Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. In that said, thou truly. So you see what Jesus was doing here? He was bringing the conversation round to challenge this woman about her sin. And there's a good practical tip whenever it comes to witnessing. You know, whenever you start to witness to people, whether it's on the street or in your workplace or even amongst your family, people will talk about everything under the sun. They will talk about some of the weirdest and wonderfulest things. And it's all, you see, to avoid the central issue, which is the issue of their sin and their personal relationship with God. And what you need to tactfully do in witnessing to someone who just wants to talk about everything and all of the subjects of the day is just to try and do what Christ did here, steer the conversation round to the central issue, which is where that person stands with God. The issue of their sin and how they can get their sin dealt with. Because Jesus identified the sin in this woman's life, this caused her to seriously consider if Jesus might be the Messiah. She recognized that he was sent from God, and so she asked him a religious question that was uppermost in her mind. Verse 20, she says, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. In other words, what she was asking was, who is right? Whose is the right way to worship, the Jews or the Samaritans' way? And Jesus answered her in verse 21, Jesus said unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. This answer that Jesus gave to this woman must have shocked her. He implied in this answer that both of them were wrong. The Jews' way of worship and the Samaritans' way of worship were both wrong. They were both offering unacceptable worship. Jesus told her plainly here that the the Jewish way of worship and the Samaritan way of worship were going to be abolished. They were both going to be done away with. Both of these systems involved rituals and and ceremonies and and sacrifices that were performed with with, with a shallowness and with an indifference. They They were really just an outward form that people went through. And so Jesus presented this woman with the truth in regard to worship. Through worship, he tells her, is from the heart, in the spirit and in truth. Verse 23, But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. Jesus was telling this woman 
The hour is already here because I am here when everything associated with the old covenant's sacrificial system is all going to be done away with. What he was implying was that very soon he was going to die. And when he did, the veil of the temple was going to be rent from the top to the bottom, and this would signify that the old system of sacrifices and offerings were going to be brought to an end. That's what Jesus was teaching this woman. Hebrews 10, verse 19 and 20, it says, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, by a new and a living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. This new system of worship, Jesus tells this woman, is not going to be in a particular place, Woman, you're concerned about whether we should be worshipping in Mount Gerizim or in Jerusalem. But the truth is that true worship is not in a particular place, but is in the heart. That's where true worship is. That's where true worship takes place. Not in a particular building. Not in a particular place. Not going through some ceremonies and rituals. But it's worship from the heart. That's what he's teaching this woman. That's the truth of worship. But secondly, consider also not only the truth of worship, but also the definition of worship. The definition of worship. What is this worship that Jesus spoke of here? Worship can be defined as honor and adoration directed to God. Worship is honor and adoration directed to God. There are several words that are used in the New Testament for worship. We have already noted one of them that is used here in this passage, the word proscunio, and that word literally means to kiss the hand or to bow down. It, it, it means humble adoration. Another word is the word latero, which means rendering honor or Paying homage. So do you get the idea? Get the meaning of this word worship? These terms carry the idea of giving. And that brings us to the heart of what worship is all about. Worship is about giving something to God. Worship is connected with the concept of worthiness. You see, as God's people, we worship God because he is worthy of our worship. The great God whom you and I serve today, the God who has redeemed us in Christ, the God who has done so much for us, friend, he is worthy of our worship. He is worthy for us to take our lives and to lay them before him and to give them as a sacrifice of worship and praise and adoration to him. Whenever we worship God, we are ascribing to God his worth. We are declaring his worthiness. You see, that's what makes us different from the world this morning. The world out there are seeking to live their lives with no thought or concern for God. What they want to do is just run their lives with 
no acknowledgement that God even exists and that everything they have comes from his hand. But we, the people of God, we worship God this morning. We're found in this worship service because we have a desire within our hearts to worship God because we realize he is worthy of our worship. He is worthy for us to acknowledge his greatness, who he is, and all that he has done for us. We're affirming his supreme value. So whenever we think about worship, we, we need to think about it as giving something to God. And this is the total opposite of so-called worship in modern Christianity. The whole idea in modern Christianity is that God should be giving something to us. Many come to a worship service not to give God the worship and praise that he is due and worthy of, but rather they come to a worship service to get something, to get a little emotional uplift, to get a psychological boost. Maybe life has been tough for them during the week. The problems of life have been crowding in. They're feeling a little under the weather. So they go to church to get a little bit of a, an, an emotional uplift. This is why people look for a lively church where, where, the, where an atmosphere is being worked up and created that, that makes them feel good. It's all about feeling good. You see, the emphasis is upon what we can get rather than what we can come to give to God, the one who is worthy of our everything. A curse in the modern-day church is what is known as the prosperity gospel. It may not be so familiar to you in, in these parts, but in some parts of the world, and in Africa, uh, especially in, in third world countries where people don't have much, there's this gospel, so-called gospel, being taught, uh, known as the prosperity gospel. And what it basically teaches is that God wants to bless you. God wants to give you material things. He wants to prosper you. He wants to make you healthy and so on. And the, 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 this, this so-called gospel emphasizes the idea that God should be giving us something, saying that whenever we come to Christ, we will receive uh, health and wealth and success. Friends, that is not the gospel of the New Testament. The gospel is not about what we can get from God but rather what we can give to God by way of adoration, praise, and worship. Yes, we do get salvation from God. God blesses us, blesses us with his salvation and with all of its blessings. But even that, the reason why God blesses us and gives us his salvation is that so as a, as a result of that, through our redeemed lives, he might be glorified. That's God's ultimate goal and aim. That's why he ever saved you, child of God, that he might take your redeemed life, saved from sin, and through it, he might get glory to himself. That the riches of his grace and what he has done for us in Christ will be magnified. You see, it's all about God and his glory. What he should be receiving from these lives of ours. Christ tells this woman in verse 23 that the gospel is about the Father seeking those 
who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Those who will give to him his worth. Those who will declare his worthiness. It's not about what we can get from God. It's about what we can give to God by way of exalting, honoring him, giving him his worth. And friends, this is something that touches every area of our lives. I want you to get that this morning. It's not just about spending an hour in a worship service once a week. No, friends, it's about giving our entire lives to live for the praise and the honor and the glory of God. It's about ascribing his worth through our lives and everything we do. Because, friends, God is worthy of our everything. God is worthy of your life, your gifts, your time, your talents, absolutely everything you have, God is worthy of it. And this is why worship affects every area of our lives. From what you do on a Monday morning till you come to the house of God on the Lord's day. Everything. Your very thoughts should be those that will exalt and honor God for who he is and what he has done. Turn to Romans chapter 12 for a moment please. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. Paul's good epistle to the Romans and when he comes to chapter 12... He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Or that word service there can also be rendered as worship, which is your reasonable worship. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Paul, in the, in the epistle to the Romans, in the first cha- 11 chapters, he had described uh, the mercy of God to the believers there. How God in his mercy came to us as sinners, and how he provided salvation for us in Christ. All about the mercy of God to us. And then when he comes to chapter 12, in verse 1 here, He says that in the light of all the mercy of God to you, in the light of all the mercy that God has shown to you in Christ, your only response can be to take your life and to lay it and surrender it to the Lord, to to lay it as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. You see, this is where worship It begins, friends, realizing the mercy of God to you. Realizing that you were a lost, helpless, guilty sinner, a sinner on the way to hell that could never save yourself, a sinner who was in rebellion against God and bound for a lost eternity, but that God in his mercy looked down upon you 
He loved you. He sent his son to, the, to Calvary's cross to die for you. Oh, the mercy of God that he showed to you when he plucked you as a brand from the burning, when he drew you to himself, drew you out of your sin. Here you are this morning, a child of his, rejoicing in his great salvation. You see, realizing the mercy of God to us, and what we would have been if that mercy had never reached down and saved us. Realizing God's mercy to us, our hearts are just filled with adoration and praise to Him. Our only response can be to take our lives, take our all, to lay them before Him. This is why only true believers can really worship God. Because worship flows from a redeemed heart. The sad reality this morning is this, that as we meet together in this house of God, across our nation there are many who are finding themselves in so-called worship services. They're reciting prayers, they're going through rituals, and they think that they're worshiping God. But they're not. Why? Because it's not coming from a redeemed heart. They've never realized the mercy of God. They've never realized that they're sinners. They've never realized that they can't save themselves. Never realized that they owe everything to the mercy of God. Therefore, to go through forms and rituals is not worship. Worship flows from a redeemed heart. Realizing the mercy of God to us in Christ, we give our whole selves Everything we are, everything we have, our gifts, our time, our talents, we take them, we lay them before him and say, take me, Lord, take my life. Don't let me live for myself and my own selfish ends. Let my life be lived in its entirety for thy glory and for thine honor. Friends, this is what worship is all about. Peter said the same thing in 1 Peter 2 and verse 5. He also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Like Paul, Peter tells us that because of what God has done for us in Christ, our concern should be to offer up acceptable spiritual sacrifices of worship to God. So true worship, friends, is rendering to God the honor and the adoration that he is due, and we do that with our whole lives. This affects every area of our lives. The truth of worship, the definition of worship, and then thirdly, the place of worship. The place of worship. When the Samaritan woman was confronted by Christ about her sin, her reaction was to put things right. Her first thought was to think of worship to God. And so she asked Jesus this question about where was the right place to worship, Mount Gerizim or, or, or Jerusalem. Like many even today, she associated worship with a particular place, a set time, a particular form and manner. But Jesus' answer was that worship is not confined to a specific place and time and form. Verse 21, he said, Woman, believe me, 
The hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Verse 23, but the, the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. True worship can be done in any place and any time because it's worship from the heart. That raises the question, what was the purpose of the temple? Why did God command the temple to be built and for all of the sacrifices and offerings to be done there day after day? The answer is that it, that was pointing forward to a greater reality. That was a part of the old covenant that was all types and, and shadows pointing forward to Christ and to his work. But now that Christ has come, that old system is gone. It's dead. It's finished. The types and the shadows have been fulfilled. They've served their purpose. They've pointed forward to Christ, and so they're no longer needed. Read the book of Hebrews, clearest explanation of this truth, that all of the old system of, of sacrifices and offerings is finished. It's dead, it's gone, because Christ has come. Christ has now offered himself as that one sacrifice. And you see, Christ is now the temple. In John chapter 2 and verse 19, Jesus said to the Jews on one occasion, he said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Then said the Jews, forty and six years was this temple in building, and wilt thou rear it up in three days? But he spake of the temple of his body. You see, the Jews were thinking of the, the literal temple that stood there on the temple mount. But Jesus was speaking of the temple of his body. Jesus is now the temple. And because we are his people... Because we are one with him, part of his body, we are that temple too. This is what Paul taught in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6 and verse 19. He said, Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God. Child of God, realize that about yourself. You are a temple of God. God dwells in your heart and life. That means that wherever you go, God goes with you. And because that is so, you can and ought to worship God in any place at any time, from you get up in the morning till you go to bed at night. And even in bed at night, if you can't sleep, every waking thought and everything you have and you are ought to be given to God, lived as a sacrifice of an offering of worship and praise to him. Whether you're sitting in your house, whether you're at your place of work or wherever you are, you can worship God in any place at any time and ought to. That's the challenge, friends. That's what the challenge of worship is all about. Not coming to sing a few hymns and listen to a sermon on a Sunday, but your entire life given to God, realizing that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit 
And friends, if that truth were to really grip our hearts, if we were to live every waking moment in the conscious realization, my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, God himself, lives within me. I tell you, we would live different lives. We would think differently. Our attitudes and our, our, everything about us would be so, so different. May God help us, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Christ gave himself for us. He shed his precious blood. He gives access into the holiest of holies where we can freely worship God and we ought to every moment of every day. May God write that challenge on all of our hearts, enable us to live such lives for his glory. We're going to just close by singing hymn number 478, number 478 on page 368. Saviour, thy dying love thou gavest me, nor should I aught withhold my Lord from thee. In love my soul would bow, my heart fulfill its vow, some offering bring me now something for thee. 478, and we stand as we sing, please.
Oh, that is indeed our <coughs> prayer this morning. <coughs> As we leave of God, we ask, Lord, that <coughs> the truth of thy word, the truth and the challenge that our lives might be all that thou dost want them to be. Lord, just write it upon us, we pray, and enable us, strengthen us. We are weak in ourselves, and we look to thee. So bless thy truth to us. Thank thee for thy presence with us to go before us in the remainder of this day. Bring us back again tonight. Bring the unconverted in and draw them to thyself, to this wonderful Savior. We ask it in his name. Amen.